This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to this week's No Near Never podcast in association with Neville G. Full show this evening, lots and lots of guests to get through, mulling over Sunday's 3-1 defeat to Everton, another home defeat, I'm afraid. Um, James and Kevin are with me, and we've also got Everton fan Ben and ex-Burnley player Paul Weller for his first appearance on the podcast. Um, James, we'll start with you then. You've not been on the podcast for a while. What did you make of, of Sunday's game? Yeah, I think um, we were, I don't think we ever really got into the game. You know, we let, we let Everton score early on um, for another cross. And I just think from that stage, it was always going to be difficult for us to, to really get into it. There was a little spell when we, we got the equaliser where, you know, we were, like, we were playing the kind of football we wanted to, but it just, it just didn't manage to last for, for long enough really to, to get anything out of the game. Yeah, around the time that we scored, I thought we were playing really well. It's just unfortunate it was only about five, ten minutes. And apart from that, I was quite disappointed. Kevin, what were your thoughts on the game? Um, yeah, it's, it's almost the same pattern uh, as we're, we're getting used to. Uh, in that we're having a really good spell um, at one point, but almost being let down by a couple of sloppy goals, um, which almost just, well, just ends the game. Um, I felt like, like you said, it was about, about 10, 15 minutes after the goal when we looked outstanding, probably the best we've played all season, perhaps even better than the West Ham game. Um, I, I, I really thought we were going to score another goal in that spell. And if we had, if we'd taken the lead, maybe it, it would have all been a bit better. Um, maybe we could have gone on to get that win. Uh, we didn't, but Everton were a really, really good team. I thought they were very effective on the ball. They were very patient with the ball. Their passing was really... I, I, I've not seen any stats, but I'd really like to see what their um, what their passing uh, completion rate was because they, they were really good on the ball. Um, I don't think it's any shame to lose to Everton, uh, particularly the way they played. Um, but obviously, it's disappointing to have another three-one defeat at home and um, still no win on the boards. But also uh, good to have Danny Ings scoring, which is a really good plus point for me. Yeah, that's probably about the only only positive we can take from the game. Just a, a quick mention as well, special guest that I've not mentioned, Carrie Underwood in the background there when Kevin was speaking. Unfortunately, Taylor Swift was double booked because her new album's out, but we'll, we will try and get Taylor on in a future week. Uh, Paul, welcome to the podcast, first of all. Um, another pretty disappointing game from Burnley's point of view. What was your take on the match? Um, 
I just don't think that Burnley are defending as a unit properly, uh, if I'm being honest. Uh, I don't think there seems to be a game plan in how they're doing it. When you watch Burnley last year in the Championship, I found that they were very much in your face to all the teams. Uh, they played at quite a high tempo. And for some reason this year, they don't seem to be doing that. Um, I just think they made some of the Everton players look really, really good. I just think your Alcatraz and, and um, Jagielka at the back, they look like Beckenbauer and Bobby Moore at the back. We just didn't really get in their faces. We didn't really cause any problems. We still have hardly made any tackles. We don't give enough yellow cards. So I just think it's disappointing on that front that we're not really competing at that level because, you know, Everton, and I know some of the lads say that Everton played well and they pass it around very nicely. But I think Burnley at times let them pass them around. I think sometimes you've really got to get amongst them. Now, whether we're fit enough as, as last year, I'm not too sure. So I'm just a little bit, you know, just disappointed that they've, uh, the defensive shape isn't as good as it is. Uh, maybe you can go back to the formation. Is 4-4-2 really what we need in the Premier League? I don't know. I'm, doubts are starting to pop in there because I fear going to going to a big place like Emirates on uh, Saturday would be uh, might get ripped apart there. Well, we'll talk, we'll talk more about the Arsenal game later in the show, um, and also I do want to talk in detail about the formation. Um, ben, I suppose from your part of view, it was pretty much complete performance. Everton dominated from the first whistle. Yeah, it was good. I was I was I was impressed actually um, because we've been, we've been very patchy this season. We've had a couple of bad draws to start the season, poor defensive performances. We got embarrassed by Chelsea at home, so it was it's nice to get a couple of uh, a couple of good results on on the bounce. We've beaten Villa last week, and then the three one three one on Sunday. I mean, on the game, it was I think without wanting to sound uh, patronising about Burnley, it was just a question of quality. You know, we were able to, we had Samuel Eto'o playing and you had Lukas Jutskovic, who is rubbish, um, for want of a better term, unfortunately, for you guys. Um, and it just, unfortunately, it just sort of shone through. I um, I was impressed with your, as you mentioned earlier, efforts around when... Um, when you scored your goal, I thought you had us on the ropes uh, for a few minutes there and I was worried that you were going to kind of go ahead because you had a couple of good efforts. But once we'd weathered that in the second half, there was nothing really... I never felt worried about Burnley when when you were going forward and I think you've, you obviously lack sort of a, a cutting edge up front that's obviously, unfortunately in the Premier League going to cost you. But yeah, for Everton, I was I was pleased. I was especially pr- pleased because I predicted 3-1 in my, uh, in my uh, prediction. So, uh, so I was happy with that. Unfortunately, the team that you gave us was quite wrong. So And although, to be fair, we both identified Ross Barkley as our key player and he didn't yeah. even start. So and That's how important Ross Barkley was, that he didn't <laughs> even play. That was an indication, again, though, we talk about the, the golfing quality, but when Ross Barkley's your first substitution and ours is Ashley Barnes, that's probably a sign of, of how far away we are. Um, the first Everton goal, James, Paul's already touched on the way Burnley defended and the lack of pressing. For me, it was such an obviously constructed move. We know that Everton are going to try and get the ball to the fullbacks high up the pitch. And George Boyd's not followed his man and Scarfield's out of position. Trippier's left with two men to deal with. It was just a mess defensively all over the pitch and another goal conceded from across. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it looks back to the, the West Ham goals, really. And um, yeah, I did notice the George Boyd thing, but I think... With the way uh, Leighton Baines plays, it's quite hard to to call out Boyd there because he's so wide all the time. It's kind of like uh, Antonio Valencia used to be like quite a lot of United where he just camp out by the byline and there's not really much you can do to, to mark him because if you mark him, you, you're leaving all that space that you're not filling. Um, but obviously the, the ball in, someone really needs to be tracking Eto'o there. 
Um, I think it might have been David Jones who who looked to be the closest to him, but I mean, anyone needs to to be close to him, don't they? There. It's it's easy to say you've got to track Samuel Eto'o, but I suppose you've got to point out as well. This is one of the best African footballers of all time. He, I thought he gave an absolute masterclass, so we do need to point out how well Everton played as well. Kevin, just to, to labour the point defensively again, that's 12 goals conceded in the last four games since that run of, of three clean sheets in a row. We just don't look like we're going to keep clean sheets in the minute. And when our attack is ineffective as it is, it makes you wonder how on earth we're going to get points in the Premier League. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's all about getting that balance again because I think earlier in the season we, we were talking about how we, we weren't getting forward at all and we were playing far too deep. Um, and I think since I think the Leicester game was the first game where we actually started to, to push forward a little bit more and try to play a little, a little bit more like we did in the Championship last season. Um, that's also the time when we started scoring goals again, but it's when we, we, we've we been conceding goals a lot more from that. And like, it is that balance. It's Do we, do we want to go into games... Um, like we were doing early on in the season, where we're playing so far back that we're we're, we're not conceding goals, but we're not scoring them either. Um, or do we want to really have a go, try and win the game, try and score some goals, um, but concede lots of, uh, at the same time? Um, I think I, I think I would prefer the, the latter because uh, you know, as long as you've been, you we were being um, competitive, but. If you're drawing every game nil nil, it's it's going to get boring. So I'd rather is go out there, go and have a go. And if we're going to get relegated, at least I wanted to you know, have a bit of entertainment and, and score some goals and, and give it a go. Um, I just, I just, like I said, I just don't think we've got the quality to 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 get that real balance um, and and score goals and, and not concede, which is which is what we need to be doing. Just on just on the Everton. Fullbacks. Um, I, we'd all sort of highlighted before the game that they're arguably, they are in my opinion, the two kind of the best pair in the league. And we've suffered a lot recently for having Seamus Coleman injured because we've been so focused on Baines. But on that first, the first goal, what, watching it, uh, obviously I was pleased as an Everton fan, but watching it sort of from a Burnley perspective, I'd have been disappointed in how close or how little. Press, pressure there was on basically all of the players who who had the ball. You know, Etu picked it up in the middle and he passed it to Lukaku, passed it back to Etu, who gave it out to Barry. And, and there was just n- at no point was any Everton player under pressure. And Martinez likes to play a passing style, a pass and move style. And the way that the way we struggle uh, is where teams get in our face and they push us and they and they allow they don't allow us the time on the ball. But when Osman and Baines knocked it out, you know, they could have had a sit down and. Cigarette break because there was just so much space, and I think I think that's what that's what cost you in that that first goal um, because it's something that that a lot of teams a lot of teams try and, and close us down, but Burnley just didn't do that. Yeah, I think I think while while you're talking about the the fullbacks there, um, I think obviously we we would have identified before the match that they are a big threat, and and considering how many goals we've conceded from crosses um, lately. I think I, I was slightly disappointed to, that we that we did allow Baines so much space um, for that first goal, just because you, you, you put these two things together. Where you, you're great at, you've got great attacking full-backs. We can't, we're conceding from crosses. You'd think we'd have really doubled down on them this week and that would be the real priority, stopping stopping those getting forward. But it, it, it didn't seem to, to happen, really. What was disappointing for me was that 
the the framework I think is just not working properly at the moment. I think last season we relied on a very solid sort of almost two banks of four. It sounds like a negative tactic, but it worked so well last year. Whereas this season I think because teams play five in midfield so often we just end up overrun. And especially yesterday when we've got Scott Arfield playing central midfield and we can talk about whether Arfield's central midfielder or not, but for me he's he's not. <laughs> and I just think David Jones blessing just looks totally exposed on his own in midfield. Um Paul, if we can come back to you then. We we're talking about formations. Do you think Burnley do need to change that four four two then? And if so, how do we get around the goals problem? Because we're still not scoring enough goals, and presumably that would mean taking a striker out of the team. Yeah, I think you need to change the formation definitely. Um, but I think you've got to make sure that you're defensively right first before you start thinking about goals at the other end. I'd, I'd rather me personally go back to clean sheets and set up properly. Just going back to the, to the Everton way that uh, that they play you you we all know everybody knows that Everton's main threats are the fullbacks and you've got two good strikers in there in Eto and Lukaku Barry doesn't really score much MacArthur doesn't uh, sorry um um I can't remember his name now yeah, the other James, James McCarthy, yeah. yeah he doesn't really score many goals so you think well, you've got to set yourself up to just stop those threats they're the main threats so for me you'd have played Arfield out on the right wing all day long he does the defensive side of it and he, he would have nullified the problem or as best he can with Baines. But putting Boyd out there, Boyd's not really a, a defensive-minded winger. So you've got to start thinking defensively, horses for courses. What are you going to come up against on Saturday against Arsenal? Who is the main threat? I think there's probably more threats, more problems on Saturday than there is against Everton, with, you know, with uh, respect. But I just think they've got to think about it a little bit more defensively. I just think they just go at it a little bit naively. Um, I go with a four-five-one formation. Get Arfield back on the wing. Get him back doing that partnership with Trippier. Kitely defensively, I think he does okay. He does help out really well. Going forward, he's a bit quiet at the moment. And just put bodies in the midfield. You need numbers in there. You need to get your Shalabars in there. Get Jones in there. Uh, maybe put Boyd just in front of them. But if they'd have had those three people in there on Sunday, it wouldn't have been so easy for the for the um, Everton back four just to pass into midfield or pass into Eto's feet. Just get bodies around there and then work on your counter-attacking. Who's going to break forward? Who's got the pace to get forward? How are you going to play? Arfield can then tuck in, get Trippier back on. So I think defensively is is massive for Burnley. They've got to get that right before you start thinking of, oh, where's the goals going to come from? Let's stop them first. I think you're right, and I don't want to go in too hard on Sean Dyche, but I do think there are questions over how adaptable his tactics are. We seem to settle pretty much the same every week, and when we're getting beat every week, you've got to say that's probably not the right approach. Um, Andy's joined us. Welcome back to the podcast, Andy. We haven't had you on for a while. What are your thoughts on our game? You know for your positivity. Let's have some positives about Sunday's performance. Dash out. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. <laughs> Only joking. Um, I think uh, I was saying to my dad earlier if um, if we if we hadn't gone up we'd still be in championship and then if we go down we're still going to be in championship next year we're going to be but we're going to be in a lot better position with a lot more money so personally if we, even if we get relegated I think uh, we should be happy where we are we're two places off where we need to be um, there's 30 games left Um yeah, we're four or five points away, but that's achievable. If if you looked at the top of the league, you might as well say that Chelsea's won and no one else can get anywhere near them because we're only that same gap away. That you know the difference between Man City and Chelsea is greater than us and seventeenth um, place. So I think Chelsea people are getting worried a bit too much. I think. 
You what, sorry? I think Chelsea probably already have won the league, so well, maybe yeah. that's not not the best example. I suppose the, the big positive is that we got our first goal from a striker and it was your man Danny Ings with a very well taken goal. Yes. I think he uh was he looking at the press box when he shouted what <laughs> with his hands on his ears. Um I think he was looking at me. I think he was looking at me after I called him anonymous last week. <laughs> That's what it was. That's definitely what it was. We spurred him though. We spurred him to score that goal. I think it, I think it was a well taken goal, wasn't it? And we we took the chance. Um, we're going to score goals. We're going to win games. It's just a matter of when. I don't think you need to panic. I, I, I do agree that um, the setup seems a bit strange to be the same every week when we are getting beat consistently but if he sets it up like that and it doesn't work fair enough but he doesn't seem to change it that easily um, and he seems to keep getting players off the bench to go and get subbed and then change his mind at the last minute and there's always three of them having a conflob in the technical area I find that a bit odd I think it'd be nice to change the formation or something um, you know and at least try something different when we're getting beat but I don't know just on just on four five one, going back a you know a, a few years uh, when Everton weren't playing as well as, as we are now and in the position we are now, when Moyes took over, we we switched from a four four two from a four five one, and the point was you know to make us more solid at the back. As Paul was saying earlier, you, you have to start from from a, the principle of right, it's nil nil, and we've got a point here. Let's let's try and keep it let's try and keep it tight. Um, but the other thing about four five one is you don't four five one isn't doesn't have to be a negative formation. You can play a four-five-one where you play uh, good at, at strong attacking football. What Everton effectively lined up with yesterday was uh, a variation of a of, of a four-five-one. Now, Etu playing as the kind of uh, player in the hole is a bit more attacking. But normally, if it was Barkley, you're effectively playing a four-five-one there, and no one would say that that wasn't an attacking formation. But yeah, I, I totally agree with Paul. You've got to. If I were if I were a Burnley fan, I'd be wanting my manager to, to kind of to go away from the four four two to get get a bit more solid, get a bit more uh, structurally sound at the back, and then and then build from there. Because I think the days of being able to play kind of swashbuckling four four two football in the Premier League uh, are a long gone, I'm afraid. And I think it's uh, it's having making you guys get a bit found out. So uh, yeah, that would be that would be my advice. Even with having the the two two wingers that we have that track back quite well, it is still it's a shape that leaves you too wide open and although it worked really well last season, it was interesting that, that Leicester played four four two quite a lot last season as well. I think it's just an indication that our thinking's not really Premier League thinking. You don't see many teams in the Premier League playing four four two, do you, Kevin? Uh, no, you don't. And I think, like, I think, similar to what Ben was saying, then actually, four five one doesn't have to be defensive. I think uh, a, f- a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, when on the podcast when we were not scoring goals, actually we we proposed that going to four five one to help us score goals. We actually thought that would be a more attacking formation because it would allow us to get players in midfield to help the ball get forward. And then essentially, when we've got the ball, it becomes almost a a three four three. Trippier joins the midfield. Uh, the wingers join the attack, and it becomes almost a three-four-three. Then, when we've got the ball, but then when we've got the when we haven't got the ball, it drops back into a four-five-one. Um, and I think there's a couple of goals at the weekend where George Boyd w- was coming into the middle, um, particularly the first one. He was he was in the middle, and you think maybe that wouldn't have happened if if we did have that more bodies in midfield in the middle. 
Um, but I think Sean Dyche has always been quite reluctant to to change anything. He's always been very. Um, he, he knows what he wants. He's got this system and he sticks to it. Um, last season, the team was almost always the same. The tactics were almost always the same. That was that was really good last season because we had that consistency was a really good um, point behind our, behind our promotion. I think the fact that we we weren't able to name the same team almost every week with the same approach almost every week was probably one of the backbones of our promotion. But this season. Um, it's just not working and I think it's fine to do that when you're winning games like we've said but when you're not I think you need to change some things up a little bit um, I think it's the same with stats with uh, with uh, the subs as well I think the stats have shown that Sean Dyche even last season but as well this season uses his subs um, by far later than anybody else I think I saw charts showing yeah, when, when subs are used and his were used far later than anyone else but, but it's not just the time that they're used also. I think that his subs are almost always like the for like. like. Yeah, exactly. I think Barnes came on for, for Djokovic of a weekend, which was, it, it was completely pointless. It was not going to change anything about... It's the same thing, we, 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 and it's an inferior player, so you're not it. changing it in a positive way. You're actually making your team worse. And uh, the shell bar substitution, I'm still annoyed 24 hours on about the shell bar substitution, because it's almost an insult putting him on that late. It just seems... So pointless. I don't want to get too carried away with it because I'll end up ranting for about ten minutes. James, can we come to you on formations? What's your thoughts on on four four two and whether we need to change it? Well, I don't, it's a tough question, really, isn't it? Um... Well, you could say formations is only ever ever the stars. It's about how the players fit into it as well. I mean, four four two isn't necessarily more attacking than four five one. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm trying to think back just to Leicester and sort of what the formation was there because I don't think that was really four four two, was it? Um, it sort um, of was but I think um, Barnes maybe dropped off a bit more it was almost four four one one. Yeah and and that, that game I think was possibly the game we've looked best for the longest period of time um, but again that's against Leicester so it's hard to really judge how that translates really to uh, pure Premier League football because obviously Leicester is... Um, another championship side that came up with us um, but I think the key really is being flexible and um, you know I mean, it's been mentioned about 4-3-3 and 4-5-1 and how it can depend on whether you've got possession or not on, on which one of the two you're playing um, you know I think there's ways that 4-4-2 can work but like you said it, you've got to remember that 4-4-2 is just how you start really when you line up um, that the rest is sort of what you do once you've got the ball, what you do once you haven't got the ball. Um, and, you know, we've got to be fluid in a way that's that's going to help us out. I think the, the flexibility is a really key point. There were a couple of times towards the end of last season that we did switch to a sort of 4-3-3 and Barnes played sort of off the left. And I think that, that, that was an option that it didn't work massively well last season, but I think it was worth looking at this season. And I'm surprised that we haven't tried that a bit more. It seems to be the same pretty much every week. Um, Paul, if we can come back to you, we've touched on the use of substitutions, but Dash seems reluctant to, to use the players that he's got on the bench. Is that just because they're not of the required quality? Or what do you think it is about the subs that Dash is so reluctant to use them? I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. Um, I'm a bit puzzled as to why Shalabar and, and Keane aren't being used. They come from Premier League clubs. It's not really working for the players that are being picked, so why not give them a go? Uh, so I, I'm not sure what Sean's thinking really it's, it's a real tricky one 
Um, he's, he's got to come up with something. He slightly changed it at the, the end of the second half, didn't he, by putting Ings, Barnes and Sordell on, all three of them on at once, didn't he? But I just think the shape goes out the window. They tried it last year, like you said, back in the last year. They didn't look comfortable in those sort of uh, formations. But yeah, people talk about formations. Is it, is it a massive thing? When you've got the ball, formations shouldn't matter. If you've got the ball and you keep the ball, formations count for nothing. It's when you haven't got the ball. And that's the key thing against these Premier League teams. You've got to get some sort of shape that's going to give you a chance of winning it back, but make, making sure that you can counter-attack as well. Uh, and the difference for Everton yesterday is when Samuel Eto'o fills in in midfield, he popped up on the right-hand side and helped out Coleman. He popped up on the left. He was all over the place. When we do that and we drop Danny Ings in, he doesn't really pop up in those sort of key areas. So maybe Danny's got to be that one that leads the line. He's got a bit of pace as well. So lots of things for Sean to think about this weekend. I think Ings is an interesting one because I understand why they have him sort of in the hole because he links the play really well. But I also think you want him almost on the shoulder of the last man where he can use the pace and you can get balls in behind. And we just never seem to get in behind teams. Um, we were talking about systems, Paul. And as a former player, you'll know better than us. How much of it is down to the system and how much of it is down to the players, in your opinion? Well, it's always about the players, um, understanding what, what's expected of them. Um, but you've got to work on most things when you when you haven't got the ball when you've got the ball it's down to the players to be imaginative and and, and know the strengths of their other players you know we, we know that nine times out of ten if you get the ball out on the right hand side and get it to Trippier's feet something's going to happen um, but we've got to try and expose him get him out there on his own and leave him to, to get on with it um, so Players are massively important. I think just it's the shape is is when you when you're uh, when you're out of it. If I go back what twelve years ago when when we used to play and we had Glenn Little in the team, uh, we we all knew that Glenn was lazy. He didn't like coming back. He doesn't like the defensive side of it. But we worked our shape that sort of like catered for that. So the other three midfielders we had to sort of tuck across and we played as a three. So it was a lopsided four four two, if you will. But we knew that because we knew that if we give Glenn the ball, he'd go and win us the game. He'd go and link up with your Robbie Blakes and go and play. So you have to cater for your match winners at the same time. So where can we get Danny Ings and Trippier more involved in the game and sort of cover around for them? We know that the other midfielders have got to do the donkey work. Me and Kevin Ball had to run around all the time trying to do Glenn's tackling and that. But we knew that he'd go and get us the three points each week. So formations can be important, but you've got to highlight what your strengths are in your team as well. Ben, I suppose talking about match winners, Samuel Etty certainly was on on Sunday and you've you've got to be pleased with the the way Everson have responded. And one other thing as well, I saw um online today there was a stat saying Phil Jagelka is officially the fastest player in the Premier League. Yeah. So I, not not bad for someone you wanted to get dropped not that long. <laughs> no, I knew you were, I knew you were gonna mention that. I knew you were gonna mention that. <laughs> Um, yeah, he's no, he's turned it around to be fair. Although I still don't believe that he's the fastest player in the Premier League. Um, that's that's uh, one of those Daily Mail stats that's obviously nonsense. Um, no, it, it, talking about match winners, yeah, Etu's been a, a cracking signing. And it's funny, really, because there was a lot of people during the um, during the summer when we brought him in who were concerned. You know, we were we were overpaying him. He was lazy. It was his last paycheck. You know, is his heart really in it? But he's been an absolute revelation, and to have someone of that quality. First of all, for what he does on the football pitch, you know what we saw yesterday. Um, not, not just uh, the goal, but his his link up play, the way he worked, the way he kind of 
found the space, uh, played other players in, it was superb. But also having someone like that off the pitch, uh, especially mentoring Lukaku, I think is going to be massive because Lukaku blows hot and cold. And yesterday wasn't great. I know he got a goal, but he basically gifted you a, uh, he basically gifted you uh, the equaliser with a terrible, terrible pass. And he's liable to do that. So I think having someone like Etu around um, will really, really help his development because people forget Lukaku's only 21. I know he looks like he's got the body of a 26-year-old <laughs> bodybuilder, but he is only 21 years old. This is a man who doesn't remember the dentist chair at Euro 96. You know, it's terrifying to think of what the sort of player he could become and I think having Eto'o around will will really, really help that. But yeah, I I, I agree. Uh, Samuel Eto'o wearing, wearing number five is absolute nonsense. That's a centre-back's number. Uh, Kevin's just said that he, his goal should just be wiped off. <laughs> because of yeah. his, his Although, as, as James pointed out that was his first ever Premier League goal away from home He'd, all of his previous 10 were scored at home either at Stamford Bridge or at Goodison so yeah um, thanks for that it's always a bit strange when you get stats like that I suppose Everton fans were always going to take to Etty though after he, he said he turned down Liverpool and suppose from Liverpool's point of view when they've got Balotelli struggling so badly they must wish they'd been able to get it to him in the summer yeah, well, it's it's one way to endear yourself to Everton fans is to sign and immediately say that you uh, you signed for us over Liverpool. That's that's instant gratification. And just while we've while we've still got you, why do you think it was that you started the season so slowly, especially when last year must have been probably Everton's best season in a long time. Oh yeah, it was our best. It was our best season points wise since we won the league in eighty in eighty six, and it was our best finish in about six or seven years. So it was a tremendous season last season. I mean, it was it was an odd start to the season. I think losing Barkley uh, the day before the season started for for what was at the time reported as up to five months. Fortunately, it wasn't that long. I think that sort of knocked us a little bit because he's for someone so young, he's so integral to the way that uh, the way that we the way that we play. So I think that sort of knocked our confidence a little bit. And then just to start the season, we were so defensively poor. I mean, we gave up the lead twice against uh, Leicester on the opening day. Then we uh, we conceded two in the last ten minutes. Uh, against uh, Arsenal to throw away a 2-0 lead and you could just see the the, the defence looked so so shaky they looked like you could see it in it was a mental thing as much as a as a much of a formation or anything like that it was a whenever the opponents came towards our goal you just sort of saw it in the defenders eyes that they thought they were going to concede and that's never a that's never a place you want to be so that sort of tightened up a little bit in the last in the last couple of uh, games we've con- we've now only conceded one goal in three games um so i think that's turned around because actually we had until until Sunderland conceded eight we had the uh, we had the worst premier league defensive record but we still had a positive goal difference so scoring goals is not a problem at all for us we're we're, we're banging them in it's it's the other them that's been leaky so uh sorting that out has really helped has really helped turn the season around and i suppose with john stones to come back as well there should be more to come just finally then ben before we let you go what are you expecting for the rest of the season from everton's point of view do you think top six again or have you got I enough th- in you to push for the top four I think uh, personally, looking at how kind of the top four teams uh, are playing, I think I think Chelsea are, are going to walk the league. Personally, I think City will finish a close, uh, a not very close second, uh, and then after that, it's it's a little bit of a, a mix. I would be surprised if we had it if we had the quality to finish in the top four, but I'd be disappointed if we didn't finish in the top. If we weren't pushing for the Europa League places come come the end of the season, as you say, we've got Stones to come back, which will be a big help because he's been our best uh, best central defender um, this season. 
season, we've got Kevin Morales to come back um, as well, who was our best attacking player in the in the first couple of games. So it's turning round for us. Um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully top uh, top eight, top six is where I think realistically we're going to be we're going to be looking at because we're still a team growing. As I say, we've we've still got a, a very young striker. We've, we're only in our second season playing under under Martinez's system. So if we can have a similar season to last year, then I'll be really really pleased. I suppose the Europa League might even be your best chance to get into the Champions League. And good luck yeah. for the rest of the season. Obviously, not, much, not too much when we come to Goodison, but <laughs> you certainly deserve the points on Saturday. All right, thanks very much. Thanks for having me, guys. Cheers. No worries. If we can move on now to, to Lucas Jukovic, former Everson player, of course. We've spoken about him quite a lot on the podcast before, James, but in the last couple of games, he's not really offered enough, has he? Um, I, don't, I, I don't know whether... Sort of the the frustration of how close he he came for a couple of games, where you know he, he looked like he was he was going to score. So I think Sunderland at home, he he was fantastic, and you know he was doing everything right. The ball just wasn't going in. Um, and yes, in the last maybe two games, he sort of seems like he's just quieting down a bit again, um, which is disappointing because he you know he was looking really good and he, he was looking really close to uh, to eventually getting that goal. I thought he was really good at Leicester. It was Leicester that, for me, was his best performance of the season. He was really all action and had a, a few really good efforts. The frustrating thing for me is that when he gets a sight of goal, he just doesn't hit the target. And essentially, that's what he's getting paid for. And it, it's not, for me, I'm losing patience because I think if you've got a striker who's only holding the ball up and they're not providing any goal threat, I think you have to look at dropping them. Kevin, what's what's your view on Jokovic so far? Um, similar thing, I think. Um, for much of a season, I've actually thought he's been he's been one of our better players um, until he um, gets in front of goal, which is quite disappointing for a striker because that's almost essentially his, his job is to score, is to create goals. Um, and I think I think it's, it's really start, earlier in the season. I was really defending him because I think he brought so much to the team. Um, through he for where he helped us build up and he held up the ball up, he brought all the players into the game. Um, but I think now actually just the the simple chances he he's he's wasting now. I think we're almost starting to lose more than we're gaining. I still think he does bring a lot to the team, but you've every, every it's almost every game now he's 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 missing one or two chances, which probably the likes of Danny Ings or Scott Arfield would do a lot better with. Um, there was two really good opportunities on Saturday. I think there was one where. He he did really well to break into the box, but then he shot about a thousand miles wide. Uh, he shouldn't have one... been shooting from that one either. I think no. he had Ings in a much better position. Absolutely. Um, there was another one where, okay, it wasn't the, the easiest of chances, but I think one of the defenders messed up a little bit and he had a, a free header at goal, and he, he didn't have too much time to 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 go for it. But I think he he, he just headed it far too early. He he had you know a half a second extra for the ball to come down a bit more, and he could have. If he'd got anything on that ball, it would have been almost guaranteed goal. But he just he headed it far too early, and he got the slightest touch, and it went straight into Howard's arms. And I think that's if it, if that had gone to someone like Danny Ings, that would have been a or Sam Vox definitely would have been almost guaranteed goal. But I, it's shame because I do really like him. I think he brings a lot to the game. But I think it's it's starting to get to that stage now where when we don't when we're not making too many chances that. When we do get these chances, we really need to be making more of them. I think for me, it's just a confidence thing as much as anything else. I'd be interested to see 
if if he does eventually score, if we see a, a different Lucas Jokovic after that, because I do think the lack of goals is starting to prey on his mind a little bit. Um, Paul, you'll be able to tell us when it, when it's not going your way. How much does that start to to sit on your shoulders, and does it become much more difficult to perform to the best of your ability when you're struggling a little bit? Yeah, of course. Yeah, you start doubting yourself. Um, I'd imagine for strikers, it's it's worse when you start, you know, scoring goals, which is what you're really in the team for. When you, when you're playing in a different position um, and you're not maybe creating um, those those chances for the strikers, you can still work hard. You can still get your tackles in. You can still help your teammates out a little bit. So you can sort of sort of protect yourself in that way. But for strikers, I, I think it's really really difficult when they're when they're not in form. Uh, what what can they actually bring to the team? Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that they should really defend from the front a little bit better. Uh, but f- but for me, I think it's 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 time that uh, Danny led the line by himself. If I'm being honest, the alternatives that, that Sean Dash has got are not very inspiring either, are they? You look at Ashley Barnes and Marvin Sordell as the two strikers on the bench. They haven't really offered much to suggest that they're worth the place instead. So, is it just the case that that Duke's the best we've got and we have to stick with him, or? Do you think Danny Ings is, is capable of playing that lone strike role? Because he doesn't seem to have the physicality to me to to do that job. I'm not sure he can hold the ball up. I think Danny's got to learn to do that. Uh, if Danny's got aspirations to stay in the Premier League when his contract runs out and, and, and maybe he moves on, he's got to lead that line if he's going to go and be a Premier League striker. I think there's not many that play two up front. I think he's got the pace to turn turn the defenders, which is you know he likes doing. And when he does that, you, you sort of get off your seat. It gets your team further up the pitch, and I think he can do that. Yeah, I understand what you mean about can he hold the ball up, but sometimes you don't really need to be that player. You know, do you need that hold up player anymore? If you play through your midfield, can you sort of turn them as much as possible and let Danny play on the shoulder? Because uh, he's, you know, when you when you get him running at the at the uh, the opponents, that's where you really want Danny at his best. So I, I know what you're saying against your back, your Barnes and your Sordell. I've not seen Burnley play as much as you guys. Um, I saw them at West Brom, and I and I thought Barnes, to be fair to him, when he came on, he ran around and he does bring something a little bit different to other people. He does pop up in the right wing position, and he is all over the place, which which is, is, is good for, for work rate-wise and helping your teammates out. It's just having the quality at the other end. So I don't think Sean's got a lot of options with the strikers. Um, well, he has. He's got options. Are they good ones at the end of the day? Are, are we happy with your Sordells? For me, I'd literally just stick with one. I'd stick with one, as in Danny Ings, let him go and lead that line, get a flair player maybe playing off him like a, a Boyd or someone like that, um, and then maybe start to revisit a four four two when maybe Vokes comes back. I think I think the key to I think the key to playing Danny Ings up front is is having the the, the, the likes of Boyd and, and and Arfield being able to support him as soon as we get the ball. Um, it's one of those where if if we're playing Danny Ings up front by himself and we're we're playing so deep that the ball's coming up to him and he's he's got so much time to to hold onto the ball before anyone's coming by. That's going to be a problem because I don't think he's got the ability to hold the ball up that much. But if we can really move forward as a unit in a similar way to what Everton did because Everton played that one player up front essentially Eto was a lot further, further back um, but when they got the ball they, they, they came forward as a unit um, and that allowed the, the full backs and the wingers to come up and support um, Lukaku up front so it was almost as if he, he wasn't up front by himself he was only up front by himself when, when the opposition had the ball which is similar to what uh, to what Paul was saying so I think that's the key to I think there's certainly a system we can play where where um, Ings is up front by himself and it, it does work. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree, but he can't play the traditional one up front by himself 
but there's definitely a system we, we can get which which we will work and I think we we need to we need to do that. We certainly need to be more more adaptable and I think that's um something that's certainly worth looking at and it'll be interesting to see if we do do that for for the Arsenal game. Uh, we'll preview the Arsenal game in more detail in just a minute, but just need to do a, a quick plug for the FBAs. If you've not heard already, firstly, where have you been? We haven't stopped talking about it for about a fortnight, but we have been nominated for a football blogging award. Um, our first time the podcast is nominated for an FBA. Uh, voting is open for another couple of weeks or so. You can vote on Twitter, on Facebook, or on the FBA website itself, and you can vote once on each of those as well. All the details, if you do want to vote for us, are at knowninever.net slash FBAs and we would really appreciate any time you can take to vote for us and um, hopefully we'll win. Moving on to Arsenal then, James, DC is getting anything from this. It's it's one of the most daunting fixtures on the on the schedule, I suppose, isn't that Arsenal away? I think anything can happen. Um, I think Arsenal are a side that, that quite often have sort of have slipped up against sides and you know they do sometimes drop points a bit bit too easily um, so I, th- I think you know there's an opportunity there um, it's going to be difficult so they've got a lot of good players um, but you know if we play like we, we did at Leicester away and maybe if the support is like it was at Leicester away as well I think anything can happen on the day yeah Arsenal can be a little bit hit and miss but I think their home record I was just trying to look it up while you were talking there I think the home record is really good. They lost to, to Villa at home, surprisingly, didn't they? But I think apart from that, they're normally quite good at putting what you would probably refer to as the, the lesser lights of the league away. So, But it, I suppose it would be typical Burnley, wouldn't it, to be a bit rubbish and then go and win at Arsenal. It would just be absolutely typical. Kevin, what would you like to see from Burnley on Saturday at Arsenal then? Um, similar to what we've been saying on podcast, really, I think... I think we need to change the system a little bit. Um, I don't think we're, we're, we're lacking any desire at all. I think we're, we're, we're full of enthusiasm uh, on Saturday. We 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 were we, we certainly didn't look in, like look lacking in fight. I think it is just it's just the system that's letting us down. I'd like us to change it up a little bit. Um, okay, da- and Dash has hinted it before. I think earlier in the season he said that maybe away from home against some of the big boys, he might he might change the system a little bit. So um, maybe he'll he'll stick to that and. If we can um, go in with a different system, and uh, like I said, like James has said, Arsenal are probably the, 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 of, the of the top teams. Arsenal are probably the, the, the team you're most likely to to get a win against. They're, they are n- notoriously the, the nearly boys almost. They've got so much quality, but they also almost seem to shoot themselves in the foot quite a lot. Um, and obviously, we're, the, the lesser teams are going to raise their game against. Uh, Against one of these big teams, so you know it, it, it could happen. If I think I honestly think if we do if we do change things up a little bit when we have got a chance, um, but similarly if, if we stick to the, the same system and the same style of play that we, we've been doing for the last few weeks, then this is the type of team that's going to really flourish against the, the the mistakes we're making at the back. Yeah, I think if if we set up the same way we have for the last couple of weeks. I think we're really asking to get mauled like we did at West Brom. I really hope we don't do that. Hopefully, we've not really mentioned Dean Marnie, and we really should because I think his absence has been really key to to our problems in the last few weeks. And that 12 goals conceded in the last four games while Marnie's injured, I think that's really a sign of how much we've missed him. But then, on the flip side, if we're that heavily reliant on Dean Marnie, that maybe is a sign of how thin our resources are. Um, Paul, Arsenal, I suppose, have got so much going forward 
and in particular the, the pace of players like Sanchez and Theo Walcott's back as well, the, the pace is going to be really difficult for Burnley to deal with, isn't it? Yeah, the uh, the pace is going to be uh, the, the key to, to well. That's what Arsenal are all about: pace, 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 and something that Burnley lacking. So that's why I think the formation is is really key to to make sure that they don't have too much space to run into. You're going to have to play quite deep, uh, and you're going to have to be very, very tight in, in the midfield. So Sean, for me, has got to play a four 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 five one against Arsenal more than anybody. If you play too far up the pitch. You're giving the likes of Sanchez and them to run it behind and cause you unbelievable problems. So I think he's got to play a little bit deeper. You've got to get the five in midfield just to drop a little bit more. Just but just be, get ready to to counterattack. Uh, and I know it sounds you know really easy just to say right when you got the ball just run. But uh, you know Danny has got the quality up there. Talking about Danny Ings then, um, we've got a piece coming on the site. It should be on the site by the time you can listen to this actually uh, about Danny Ings' celebration. We didn't mention this, but he seemed to be. Uh, sort of gesturing uh, maybe to the press box some, sort of cupping his, his ears in celebration we mentioned it briefly earlier on Kevin we've we've talked about Danny Ings quite a lot last week and in terms of the, the criticism that he's had but isn't it warranted when he's only scored once this season and was out of form at the end of last season and the last time we saw him at Palace before his injury was booked for diving. He can't really complain that people have had a bit of a go, can he? No, but I think we, we know that Danny Ings is very proud. Uh, and we know that, I, I think there's certainly been hints that he, he does he does listen to what people are saying about him and sometimes takes it um, to heart a little bit too much. I think there's been a few um, comments from people at the club at Twitter kind of hitting out at fans um, tweeting things to him. I've looked online. I don't think there's been anything too extreme. I don't know if it's been deleted or anything, but I think sometimes maybe he does take things to heart a little bit too much. Um, but yeah, it, it was warranted. I've, I've been I've been very critical of him um, in the in the last few weeks, but I, I do think it's warranted. He's hardly scored since since March. Since two goals since March now, um, and even without the goals, he's, he's not been looking at anything like like Danny Ings. Um, so yes, warranted, and um, but. I'm I'm almost glad to see him him looking so passionate about it because it shows he's got real belief in himself. Um, he think and he he really wants to, to, to you know. I mean, it's been obvious all along that he's he, he's never looked like I know a few people have questioned his commitment, but to me, it's, it's never looked like he's 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 been lacking that fighting desire. I think he really believes in himself. And he really wants to to be the best he can, and I think that that kind of showed at the weekend. And I think it's really good that he's got that goal because. I think sometimes he was he's been snatching at um at shots and when he almost a few like a year ago he'd have been taking a bit more time and I think he's been a bit frustrated. Um so to get the goal especially to get the goal in the way he did because it was a very composed goal, it was very um good skill to to take it down. He, he didn't snatch it, he took it down, took slowed the game down a little bit, took it round Howard and slotted home really coolly. So I think not just to get the goal, but the, the way the goal was scored is a really good boost for him and hopefully that'll give him that Bit more confidence and a bit more freedom to to be to, to be Danny Ings again. Um, so yeah, the, the criticism was warranted, um, but now hopefully he can kick on and and we can see a bit more from him. Yeah, I agree. I think it was a well taken goal, but it wasn't a particularly difficult one. I've seen some 
really over the top praise for for Jokovic's three ball, and I thought it was a, a pretty simple pass to be honest. The way the way Lukaku set him up, he just had to slip it in behind, and Ings has taken it well. But it's a chance that I would expect him to score. So hopefully, if, if Ings does feel a bit wronged by some of the things that have been said against him, hopefully that'll give him a bit of fire in his belly, and he'll want to to prove us all wrong. So. It could work out nicely if he does feel that way. Um, we will just round off then for today's podcast with some predictions. We always do predictions at the end of the show. James, we'll come to you then. Arsenal away. Um, 2-1 to Arsenal. Only 2-1, I think. That's that's quite positive there. Paul, we'll bring you back in then. Give us a prediction for Saturday's game. <laughs> if we stick with the 4-4-2, then I think it's going to be a bit of a beating. Uh, I go with 3-0 to Arsenal. I think 3-0 probably sounds about right. I do hope we go for your idea of playing Ings up front on his own and packing the midfield a bit. I think that's the only way to play against Arsenal. We've got to go there for a point, really, and just try and frustrate them. Kevin, what's your prediction? Well, I'm, I'm, also, I'm often criticised for being negative and pessimist and everything like that, so I'm going to be positive and say that Dash is going to change it up and we're going to get... It's going to be my typical prediction of a one-all draw because Daish is going to listen to the podcast as he, we know he always does. We know Daish always listens to the podcast and he's going to take our advice and it's going to be brilliant and he's, he's going to come on and thank us next week. <laughs> that would be excellent. If you are listening, Sean, feel free to come on. That would be excellent. That is about all we've got time for this week. I think it's been a, a really good podcast. So if you do want to vote for us in the FBAs, please do all the details are at noninever.net slash FBAs. You've got a couple of weeks left to do that. Lots and lots of guests this week. Thanks to Paul Weller, who's joined us for the first time, Everton fan Ben as well, James, Kevin and Andy, all on the podcast as well. We'll be back next week. If you've got any feedback, at all, please do let us know as well. We're on Twitter at known and ever net. You can email us at podcast at known and ever dot net. And thanks finally to Neville G, our sponsors, without whom we could not do the website or the podcast. So that's everything for this week, and see you next week. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.